Hi, it's Dune here, your host and hype girl. And before we dive into today's episode, I want you to take a hot second to reflect. What's that passion, unique experience, or knowledge you have itching to be shared with the world? For me, it's always been about guiding you and cheerleading incredible women to start your businesses. So what's your thing? You see, everyone's got something they excel at, something they just can't stop talking about. And it turns out that one of the best ways to monetize those passions is through sharing that thing with the world as a digital course product. My life's work has been to chat with more than 600, 7, 8, and 9-figure e-commerce founders. And it's through those conversations that have led me to creating a foolproof playbook and my go-to guide for early-stage founders in the form of my first-ever digital program, e-commerce fundamentals. But it wouldn't have been possible without Thinkific. The beauty of this platform lies in its simplicity. Cute templates and a super easy to use editor. No coding headaches, no tech-induced stress, just pure focus on what matters most, the content. So if you've ever been curious about building a course to teach your passion, this is the way to do it. The genuine support from the Thinkific team turns it from this lonely, confusing headache into the most fulfilling and easy project. Go to the link in my show notes to get a free trial on me. This is Josh Mehta for Female Startup Club. Hello and welcome back to the show. It's Dune here, your host and hype girl. Today on the show, we're learning from Jash Mehta, founder of Pop and Bottle. Pop and Bottle was inspired when Jash and her close friend Blair made the move from London to California and had a meeting for their daily ritual, the morning latte. As coffee lovers who also prioritized health, the two friends asked themselves why nothing on the grocery store shelves met their standards. The clean label, dairy-free, no refined sugar, and organic. Jash co-founded Pop and Bottle from a genuine desire to create quality coffee and tea beverages that she wanted in her own life and make them available to the millions of people who share in her passion for clean, healthy, high-integrity products. In this episode, we talk through her early blueprint, which is still super relevant to today, and how she expanded from 30 stores to 100 stores and then on to 10,000 stores. So if you're in the food and beverage industry, grab your pen and paper and settle in for an episode that is packed with so many valuable insights. Ah, I'm so excited for you. And today is your last chance to join us inside magic before we close the doors to founding members and go back to our regular pricing. It's inside magic that you can meet women like Jash and ask direct questions in an intimate setting. You can connect with other founders who are pre-launch or in the early stages of building their brand and access tons of resources and SOPs and frameworks that you can implement into your life and business today. So if you've been excited about joining us, go to femalestartupclub.com forward slash magic with a J. And when you sign up, you'll be prompted to book in your one-on-one call with me so I can get to know you better. But for now, let's get into this episode. This is Jash for Female Startup Club. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Josh, hi. Welcome to the Female Startup Club podcast. Hi, dude. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. I'm so excited to be here. You're tuning in from San Francisco today. What's it like? I am. Um, despite my English accent, I'm actually in San Francisco. I've been here for 10 years. Um, it is cold, but still beautiful today. Still beautiful. Have you got any wins or oh shit moments that you want to share, vent, rant about? <laughs> Um, I'm sure I will as we get as we get into this discussion, but um, no, it's a good day. It's the afternoon. It's a nice peaceful day. I have a great view outside my window, and yeah, I'm excited to chat to you. Amazing. For anyone who might not know who you are yet, do you want to give us a little bit of an introduction into who you are and what the brand is? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I'm Josh Mehta. Um, I'm CEO and co-founder of a organic plant-based latte brand called Pop and Bottle. Um, we're available in the U.S. and thousands of grocery stores like Whole Foods and Walmart and Sprouts. Um, and um, we've been going for about seven years now. I started with my co-founder. And yeah, it's been a beautiful, challenging, interesting, fun, terrifying journey. Um, and uh, yeah, I love what I do. As it always is. It's a roller coaster. <laughs> so I'm told. It's a roller coaster. <laughs> 
<laughs> so I've heard. As you know. <laughs> As I know, yeah. <laughs> where do you like to start your story? I know you launched around 2015, but where does kind of the light bulb moment happen for you and your co-founder? And what is that early kind of moment into starting Pop and Bottle? Yeah. Um, it's so interesting looking back because I think in any journey you have these pivotal moments and we've definitely had, you know, over the last seven years, we've definitely had several of them and each one has kind of taken the business into a different trajectory. And so we started in 2015 in that bootstrapped, very organic, very steep learning curve. I mean, the learning curve is still steep, but it, but it was kind of very hands-on back then. That was kind of phase one of the business. And then it kind of moved into the next phase where we had a few more resources, et cetera, et cetera. So, but I can start in the bootstrap phase because I think I think that's the most interesting. And um, Let's start there. We love that phase. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it could help, like, kind of help start with, you know, why we, how we got into this and why we do what we do and what that looked like. So, um, you know, for me personally, um, I was coming at entrepreneurship from – the personal journey of seeing my mom being an entrepreneur my whole life. So, and I know, I know you have kind of a similar story. Um, my mom was a kind of a big part of the role model that showed me what it was, what it looked like to have a female leader, a female business owner. So I always, I knew I had that entrepreneurship gene in me and I was coming to the table with that from a young age. Um, but I just didn't know what that looked like. What was the business? Where did I want to spend my time? And there's a little bit of serendipity actually in the way we started. Um, I moved to San Francisco um, in my 20s for personal reasons. Uh, so it's a big move from London. And I moved to a city which was, you know, 80% tech scene. Um, but actually the the part that drew me in was not the tech industry, it was the food industry. And, um, you know, London being a big city, great food scene, but um, but removed from kind of the agricultural farm-to-table aspect of, of food. And that's, that's, what I, that's what I saw when I came to California. So... I arrived and suddenly um, there was all this beautiful farm-to-table eating that I was experiencing. There were these beautiful California farmers markets where I was buying my produce. Um, the grocery stores were these amazing health food stores selling things I'd never heard of, and it was just such an interesting kind of facet of California living that really captured me in. Um, and my kind of and it really started my interest in wellness and, and healthy eating. The serendipity of the story is that my co-founder, who um, was one of my best friends. Um, happened to move to San Francisco for totally different reasons within six months of when I moved. So suddenly I arrived here, I'd left my career behind and I had a, a space of time in kind of my career journey that was a break. Um, and it was a forced break um, because I, I moved, um, but it was such a great time to just slow down and uh, experience this new place, get to know it, explore my passions and do it with a friend. Um, he was a very good friend. And so it started completely passion-based. We we loved health and wellness. We started eating at these restaurants together. We started kind of um, jumping into a plant-based diet, seeing what that did to our bodies, how it felt, going to health food stores and understanding these ingredients and what they mean, watching documentaries. And yeah, it was just a kind of a really fun period of exploration. And then we would meet for coffee. We'd meet every day for coffee and talk about XYZ that we'd learned or XYZ that we were interested in. And suddenly we kind of realized that, you know, we've been putting wellness into every aspect of our lives and seeing how that felt. But this daily ritual that we loved, this, this daily uh, activity that we did that was social, that we met, you know, it was, com- it was community driven. We'd meet every day. 
wasn't actually very healthy and especially you know especially seven years ago when um it was a lot harder to find great plant-based options and um you know you'd go for coffee and it would mostly be dairy there's also added sugar and lattes it was very hard to find organic coffee it was very hard to find tea-based options and suddenly we kind of had this moment where we wanted this ritual that we loved to just be more healthful and we noticed that particularly um, in the grocery store space. So yes, you could go to your local coffee shop and craft something that was to your taste. But if you went to a grocery store, coffee in the grocery store was really about hypercaffeination. You know, it was more energy. Um, it wasn't about ritual. It wasn't about delight. It wasn't about wellness. And we just we we noticed that white space, and it was something we were doing every day. And that was really kind of a light bulb moment. Um, we wanted to craft something that was delightful and delicious and, and healthful for us and build a beautiful brand around it that made, was meaningful to us and meaningful to others. So that was really the moment that kind of started us on this journey. Um, the reality of it is that we had no food background, no beverage background, no CPG background. Um, my co-founder was from a design background. I had an operational business background. And so we were coming at this industry really naive. And I think that has definitely its benefits it has its challenges you know we had to learn a lot in a short period of time but it has its benefits uh, you know I think if we knew more we, we maybe wouldn't have jumped into it as hard as you might not have started <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely um so that, that's kind of how it started and, and we really started small we wanted to test the concept um we had no idea did other people want this um would they pay for it would they buy it twice um would the decision maker in the grocery store you know think this is a good idea would they make space on their shelves for it and so there was a lot to learn and a lot to test and our goal so the first milestone really was just let's figure out how to make this in a way that is you know commercially viable and then uh, let's get it into 2030 stores and see what happens the process of selling it was us literally going to these little grocery stores asking to speak to the manager or the buyer and saying, hey, this is what we make. Um, we should be interested in this. What's your feedback? And, um, and we learned a lot doing that. And so at that time, you're on this kind of forced break because you've moved. Are you also going back into the industry or are you kind of like, let's see how we go when you are actually starting this business full time with the intention of just sticking with it full time? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I was giving myself about six months to kind of figure out what life in California looked like for me. And so I think that's really in some ways important because we're all on this treadmill, right? It's like, we're doing this and then we're doing this and we're doing this and we want to be here by this age and, you know, whatever that looks like. And I, and it's rare that we intentionally take a break in our lives. And I think for those who do, it's so wise. Um, but for me, it wasn't, it wasn't so intentional and um, it was kind of forced because I'd moved, but it gave me this like period of time to just slow down and, really be intentional about what I wanted to do next. And for me at the time, it was the two options for me were I'm, I'm going to go join a company and kind of further my skill set. And it was an exciting time to join tech and other things in San Francisco. Or it was like, actually, this is the perfect time to really think about if I do want to uh, start a business and what that looked like for me. And I gave myself a period of time to test and learn and take some shots on goal and see what happened and what landed. Um, and it was a very appropriate period of time to, you know, if things didn't work, if it didn't feel right, if 
my co-founder was not working and you know, we had a great friendship, but maybe it wouldn't translate to a business partnership. It was just kind of a great time to test all of those things. And so, yeah, it was very open-ended. Like, let's try this. Let's see what happens. If we get to that next milestone, we'll keep going. And that has been the story of the last seven years. I love that. And just to further paint the picture, are you like making these products at home or are you immediately kind of, you found a commercial kitchen? Like what's the setup in those early bootstrapping moments? Yeah. Yeah. Let me paint, let me paint some color. Paint the picture. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So at the beginning, we're doing all the R and D in my little apartment in San Francisco. Um, And uh, we bought a Vitamix at uh, the first investment we made is a thousand dollars in a Vitamix, um, you know, our, our fancy blender, and um, that was that was kind of our big R and D purchase. And wish I had one of those. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> love those. They're, they're great. It still, it still works. It still works in the museum of PMB. Um, and uh, yeah, it was at this point just the earliest form of an idea, really. Um, but we would, you know find recipes we were, were making our homemade plant-based milks we were, we were you know literally making almond milk in our kitchen we, we weren't selling it but we were just we were doing all the r&d and r&d is you know very basic at this point and that's kind of how it started we didn't we didn't go any further until we had an assemblance of a product that someone could taste you know be it friends and family someone could taste and just give us feedback we did that for a little while until we had, um, I, I believe it was five different products that we had got to a point where we thought this is delicious. We love this. We have a recipe that um, we would buy at least every day. But let's see if it lands with others. I think it was Blair's birthday in that year that we decided to have a friends and family tasting. Um, and we invited 30 of our close friends and family. We had these big giant vats of um, lattes in different flavors and we set them up we made it look beautiful and uh, we had an ipad and uh, a google form and we basically put together a questionnaire um tell us what's your favorite tell us what you liked what you didn't like would you buy the skin how much would you pay just kind of basic questions to our audience of 30 friends and, and in exchange you know come hang out with us we'll serve you breakfast and we'll have a good time we'll celebrate Blair's birthday etc etc so um that was kind of our first piece of feedback our kind of first product trial you know in a safe environment um with our friends and then we use that to decide on three products we're like we have five that we love we can't launch five it takes too many resources too expensive nobody's going to give us five SKUs of shelf space in a grocery store so let's use this exercise to pick the best three and really focus on those. So we used the results of our little mocked up survey and we landed on three that we loved and, and that had the best feedback. And so that was kind of the R&D stage. Um, once we'd gone from there, then it was really, we had to learn about the regulation, the licensing, we got food service licensed ourselves. And then we found a commercial kitchen um, not too far outside of San Francisco um, where we could um, rent by the hour <laughs> on the weekends and um, and, you know, physically make the product ourselves. Um, so what the working look, week looked like in those early days for us is Monday to Friday, we would sell, market, you know, work on strategy, uh, design packaging, like all of those great things. And then on the weekend, we would run production um, and we would work in the commercial kitchen, make the product. Mondays, we would deliver everything. And Tuesdays to Fridays, we would do everything else. What kind of like amount of money did you invest in that early stage to getting you to kind of like 
you know, launch, I guess, where you have like those three products, you've kind of invested in the, like the, the, I don't know, the setup of the company, the hiring of the commercial kitchen, getting licensed, that kind of thing. Like if you had to put a ballpark figure on the investment. Yeah, it was about $10,000. Um, so my co-founder and I both put about half of that in. Um, and that was enough to get us on the ground, which, you know, just sound, might sound a lot to some, might sound not very much to others. Um, for us, you know, at the time, it was it was the amount that we were comfortable um, putting in to invest and really give it a little bit of a go um, that, that felt comfortable to us and, um, and was enough for us to invest in our first round of packaging, do the business startup costs, the licensing, the regulation, um, and, um, you know, produce our first round of products, essentially. And at that time, you know, you were obviously kind of going into this with the idea that you would see how it goes, bootstrap the business, but at some point you raise money. And I don't want to skip ahead too far in the process, but for you, I think it's an interesting um, moment to talk about because a lot of people kind of want to raise straight out of the gate. They want to raise early on and, and go right into it and think that that's the answer. But oftentimes bootstrapping it until you get to a point where you have to raise out of desperation or out of the need to scale or expand, you know, comes along. For you, were you ever thinking about raising at that point or what was that kind of like mental mindset around the bootstrapping to fundraising path? You know, there's so many ways to do this. And when I look back, um, I don't know if we did it exactly right, but I also don't know if we were going to do it again, we, whether we do it differently. It was kind of the path we chose and it, you know, it worked, we've, we've got here, but um, but it probably slowed things down for sure. Um, so I think that's always the trade-off, you know, resources always can help speed things up, um, but resources obviously come at a price. And so, you know, what is the right pace for you? and um and how much are you willing to you know give away in terms of equity or whatever it is to make that work um for us kind of going back to us not being from the industry um and and you know the naivety that we talked about i don't think that we really knew what it looked like to do this in a way that was really expedited um you know if if i was doing it again now i really understand I've zoomed out enough that I know that if I was to zoom back in, um, I would know how to do things a lot faster and I understand how to scale things a lot faster. But at the time, we didn't know that. And it's really important to us to get our hands steady and learn. So we weren't looking to raise out the gate because we didn't, we needed to have the confidence in ourselves and in the product to know that, you know, if we, before we go out and ask others to support this, um, we need to know what we're doing. We need to know that we have X amount of data that we, understand what this looks like that we have some metrics to show etc cetera, etc cetera. and that took a little bit of time um so we bootstrapped for um, a period of time but ultimately it was also very apparent reasonably early on that we wouldn't really be able to be bootstrapped for that long unless we wanted this business to be you know very very localized i think um if the ambitions were to do this kind of within a tight geography of san francisco and do it in a very localized way i think that we could have continued down that path um, but I think there's a philosophical question that we had to ask us, which was, you know, why are we doing this? You know, what's the what's the North Star? And if the North Star is to build this brand that touches a large geography of people, um, then we're going to have to raise some capital. We're, we're going to need some support. Um, and um, you know, it's it's not a cheap business to build. You know, when you really you know, you, you need scale in order to really build this uh, at a geography that is meaningful. And so 
it was very apparent reasonably early that we would need to raise funding if, if that was the ambition. Um, and it, and it, it wasn't necessarily obvious to us that, that was the ambition day one. You know, it, it came with a few months of seeing the product sell, getting feedback and building our own confidence. Um, you know, it's really the customer telling us, you should have bigger ambitions for this because actually we do want it. Um, and then as we slowly increased our geography, it started to work in a, in a bigger scale and a bigger geography. And it's really been that process of feedback and those mini successes that have given us the confidence to go a little bit broader in our ambition. Mm, gosh, I love that. And I think it's, you know, it's such an important point you touched on, which is you really do need to prove out your concept first in the market to get that metric and data kind of analysis so that you can then figure out what the North Star is and what you want to do with it. Because obviously if the market isn't ready for that product or it's not quite right, then you don't want to invest money kind of that can go down the drain when you need to jiggle things to to prove it out. Totally. Yeah. yeah. And it's really rare that you put something out in the world and you've nailed every single thing the first time around, right? Like I think some people might be extraordinary at product and design thinking to be able to do that. But the reality is that you really need a bunch of touch points, a bunch of people to experience your product with different preferences or, you know, whatever it is to help you shape what is wanted of you in the world. And it's really healthy, I think, to be open to pivoting in those early days. I think if you're too much of a perfectionist about that or you're too attached to that you know, very first version that you made with your Vitamix in the kitchen, then you, there might be a missed opportunity. So giving that, giving yourself that time um, and being open to, you know, a potential pivot or the market guiding you, um, you know, for us was definitely really helpful. Was there a lot of change in the beginning based on the feedback? Like what were some of the things that people, you know, were telling you we need it to be this or we need it to be that? Yeah. Um, yes and no. I think one of the biggest ones that was, it was probably the most transformative for our business was um, this idea of really zeroing in on a few products that resonated the best. And so I, I kind of alluded to this in, you know, we had five recipes, we learned, we launched with three. That sounds very small, uh, but it was actually very, very important when you're starting a small business and you have limited resources. But the biggest thing about that was not just, you know, which of the three that taste the best, um, but it was really helping us better understand what problem we were solving for the world or, you know, or for our friends or for our San Francisco community, whatever that was. And what we realized is, so I'll give a very specific example in our case. Um, we had a selection of products that were coffee, tea and, and uncaffeinated. Um, we loved all of them. We used them at different points of the day. But as we looked at some of the early data and got the early feedback, the ones that were resonating the best were the ones that were taking the place in someone's life of their coffee. You know, it was the caffeinated, ritualistic products of the bunch. And so that's where we started. Um, and that really helped us zero in on the fact that, well, who are we? We're, we're a latte brand. That's what we want to be. And that's what we want to do really, really well. And that's what we want to be known for. And zeroing in on that was very helpful. Um, it was really helpful um, so that we could focus on a limited number of products. It was very helpful because we could very clearly articulate from a brand and marketing perspective, what we were selling and, and what we were um, hoping to improve for someone's lives. 
And so that, you know, that was an example of not necessarily a pivot, but a, but a zooming in on one specific thing that we could be good at. Yes, very clear messaging, very like similar target profile for who you're trying to reach, stacking your marketing. I totally get it. That's amazing. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. And so for you, I want to talk about that like early period, because you mentioned that in the beginning, you know, your goal was to kind of like get into 20 or 30, you know, mom and pop style shops, see how it's going. And the blueprint for that is, you know, from what I hear quite, you know, it's obvious you go and knock on everyone's doors, you get people to try your product, you get some orders in and rinse and repeat until you have those 30 stores. But from there, like the 30 stores, how do you get to like, a thousand customers, whether that is directly through the website or whether that is, you know, more retailers, what's that next phase of expansion for you to get to that first thousand? Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you had to summarize. <laughs> yeah. um, so, you know, it's, it's a great question. And it, you know, it was, it was not linear, you know, it was like up and down. Um, well, one thing for us, um, which is specific to our business, is at the time, um, our products were all perishable. Um, we've expanded our portfolio since then, and that's a little different today. But um, but back then, you know, we had a small selection of products, and they were all perishable. So 
that actually in some ways did a little bit of focusing for us in terms of our channel strategy. So we couldn't really sell online because it was a very perishable product. We couldn't ship. So that, that ruled out direction consumer was taking off, but we couldn't be part of it because <laughs> that was not um, something that fit our product. And um, so we kind of were limited by the distribution that our perishable products enabled us to do. And that really meant focusing on grocery. And, um, and so that's what we did. We, we had our 30 stores of data. Um, it was strong. And we used that data to then try and get the next 100 stores. And for us, the 30 stores, like you said, they were mom and pops. They were independents, maybe a two, two chain store, or a three store, excuse me, a three store chain. Um, but it wasn't more than that. For us, the kind of next ambition was to be in, in Whole Foods. It was, you know, a very important natural food store um, where we could get our products into kind of the 30 to 40 store regional launch um, and give us the opportunity to really test it at a wider market. And that would have been kind of the 100 store range. So it went from pitching individual stores one by one, the buyers in the store, you walk through the door, you make an appointment and you drop off, you physically drop off product to then trying to um, get an appointment with Whole Foods corporate and get their attention and get that opportunity. And, and that was what took us to the hundred doors. And the way that that happened is really just a lot of, a lot of reaching out, a lot of persistence. Um, finally, um, the forager in Whole Foods, there's, a, there's kind of a forager program where uh, they look to promote locally produced products. And so we learned about this program, uh, you know, we fit the criteria, and we met the, the local forager. And I still remember that meeting, going to their corporate office. It's very exciting. We're very nervous. Um, but we were authentic and they were looking for authentic stories. Uh, you know, one of the missions of that program was to support local food entrepreneurs. And that's exactly who we were. So we told our authentic story. He liked the taste of the product. He understood the white space that we were operating in. And he didn't have anything that that close to it in his stores. So he gave us a chance. And that took us to the 100 store mark, but really our first chain. And that gave our brand and our product legitimacy. And once we had that legitimacy, then suddenly we had a case, a successful case study in a reputable, larger retailer that we could then take to others. And, you know, that was a billboard for us to be in Whole Foods. And that credibility and and other people seeing it there um, that helped open the doors to more conversations with other with other stores with other grocery retailers um, so that was kind of definitely a tipping point for us and is that in parallel where you kind of needed to raise capital because I imagine maybe twenty to thirty stores you can maybe manage you know on a very mm-hmm. lean team yeah. but <laughs> scaling yeah. into a hundred is a lot <laughs> yeah totally. Um, and like production changes significantly yes. from being like you making it on the weekends to being like, we need to outsource this. Yeah, totally. Um, no, you're exactly right. That was almost hand in hand um, with that wider launch um, in Whole Foods was the upsizing of our production situation. So um, we raised some capital and we were doing this kind of in parallel. Um, so we're selling, raise, raising money, producing on the weekends. You know, it, it was a lot. But it was exciting and, and we were seeing progress. Um, so we kind of, we started raising our uh, first small seed round. We were supported by friends and family and a few other investors. Um, but it was enough to get us to that next hurdle of needing a bigger commercial kitchen where we ran production every day that we kind of owned and operated and where 
we could hire a production manager. Um, our first big hire was our production manager. I remember meeting um, another entrepreneur back then, you know, who was a few years ahead of us in the food space. And the biggest piece of advice she gave us is you need, you need to both get yourselves out of the kitchen. Um, you know, you need to, if you're really going to scale this, you need to bring in someone who knows how to do that, do that really well, so that you can really focus your time and attention to everything else. And um, that was such an important step for us to take. And we really needed capital in order to do that. So finding that right hire, finding commercial kitchen space that would work for us, that could really allow us to be to grow for another year, year and a half, at least. That started to inform, those types of things started to inform how much capital we wanted to raise. And yeah, we were doing these things simultaneously. It wasn't sequential, I would say. So um, I think that's an important thing to, to know because had it been, it would have been very difficult to make progress. But we kind of needed to have confidence that, okay, we need to raise X. We've got 20% of that committed so far. But we don't have time to wait till we have the full 100. We need to keep going and taking steps in this direction. So, you know, there's a leap of faith and confidence that we will continue raising this and we will, we will raise this money um, while we do all of these things in parallel to secure the space, to secure the hire, et cetera, et cetera. So um, uh, it was all kind of happening at the same time. And even more at the same time, I imagine that your marketing is also evolving from being, you know, pounding the pavement, door knocking to kind of how do we reach more people and get more attention and a spotlight on us? What were you doing marketing wise? Were you focusing on influencers or PR or paid ads? What was the kind of um, evolution on that side of things? Yeah. um, So this was very bootstrapped and um, we needed every, you know, the time. And even when we had some funding, we needed every dollar to go back into producing the product um, working capital, investing in packaging, operating our, our our kitchen, and so at the end of the day, there was very little left to to really invest in marketing in a very intentional way, and so it had to be quite bootstrapped and quite grassroots. But I think that that also was an absolute blessing. Um, it gave us an opportunity to try different things and see what worked and see what landed, um, but it also really added to the authenticity of the brand which I think was really important the one thing we knew and you know we knew it to begin with but it was really evident as we started to grow was that in a world with where you have very few marketing dollars the best thing to invest in is your product it's really hard to acquire new customers but when you do you want them to be repeat purchases and you want them to be advocates of your product you want them to come back you want them to spread the word so making sure that the product is right that the pricing is right, that the packaging is good and friendly and appropriate. Um, those are really, really important things to invest in. And that's a very, very important part of marketing. Um, you know, that really is stage one, I would say, of kind of what it took for us to be successful. So we invested everything we could in the product. You know, it is the cap. I remember one time um, we were just, we were not happy with the caps. They were hard to open and they're creating some frustration and we spent time fixing you know investing money on fixing the cap to find something that was just like a lot more user-friendly and putting money there instead of putting it somewhere else um, because we knew that that was a really important part of the experience so i'd say yes that in the beginning days really getting the product right really getting the brand right i alluded to this before but we didn't have 
cash to put in paid ads or other things. But um, we did know that once our product lands on the shelf, that's a huge billboard for who we are. Um, you know, a customer has takes seconds only, uh, you know, only seconds of attention when they walk in a grocery store. The beverage aisles are particularly um, busy, and there's so many options and so many colors and so many things going on. So much messaging. How can we use that little bit of real estate that we've, we're going to get no matter what if we get into the store? How can we use that valuable piece of real estate to stand out above all else? And my co-founder had a design background. Um, it was not a CPG design background, but it was a, and it, it, again, it, that was fantastic because she was not from the industry. So she kind of applied more of her uh, fashion design background with a food lens and our packaging, which was completely designed internally, led by her, was so simple that it stood out. Where everyone else was shouting about their product, we were telling the customer, this is a very simple, clean product by the lack of messaging on the packaging and letting that simplicity really stand out. We picked really approachable pastel colors. We had really refined text. Um, and it was an elegant, simple product inside and out. And the packaging really spoke volumes. It got the attention. It encouraged people to try. And the product was good enough that um, when they tried, they came back. And that was really the beginning of the flywheel that started to work for us. Once we had a little bit of more capital to start to think about more of a comprehensive marketing plan, um, we, we leaned on it leaned in on social media and you know, Instagram in particular, which back then was you know really the it was in its infancy in terms of how brands were using it. So um, it was not focused on paid advertising at the time as much. It was really about, you know, community voices, getting recommendations from friends and getting recommendations from kind of the early influencers of the platforms. And uh, we sent our product. Uh, we never paid. We couldn't afford to do that. But again, letting the product speak for itself and having confidence in the product, we would send the product to um, wellness influencers. We'd write to them ourselves as part of kind of, again, the authenticity piece um, and build a relationship. But if they're interested in receiving some product, um, we'd, we'd send them some and, you know, hope that if they liked it, they would share it. And and that started to create a little bit of flywheel too. So those two things, the, the billboards in the store and the kind of authentic grassroots reach out, those are the two things that we kind of linked on in those early days to start to get the word out. Do you think that for anyone listening who might be in the food and beverage industry and they're following a similar blueprint because, you know, low kind of budget, bootstrapped, but knowing that the landscape has changed so much with social media, you know, everything is saturated. Every influencer is like promoting a million different products. If you were to start this same business tomorrow, again, on a low budget and you have those kind of, you know, first doors that you've already put in the hard, like pounding the pavement work. Where would you kind of, what would you focus on as a channel today? Yeah, it's a really good question. And I, I still think about this because, you know, even for us, as these platforms have become saturated, you know, it becomes harder to, to do exactly that. And I think it's, you know, it's even harder if you're brand new, but it's harder even if you're a few years down the road. And I think zooming out from that question, asking yourself, and I think I would ask myself, What's the community that we're trying to build? And what's the most micro version of that? So when you don't have a large platform to reach everyone, how can you find a small platform but really go deep with a, with a micro community? 
Um, for us, you know, it's it's wellness, it's women, it's coffee, it's tea, it's mums who need a lot of coffee, um, and, and really kind of drilling down to those micro communities. I think that a genuinely great product or service that is suited to a micro community that is solving a real problem will resonate and will break through the noise, um, even in an increasingly noisier world. And sometimes I think just looking at that landscape and finding those grassroots opportunities to connect with that audience, I think they still exist. And again, going back to the point I made earlier, which is that sometimes having less resources actually is a good thing. When you have a lot of resources, you might choose to do things bigger and broader. When you have least, less resources, you take it down to the most simplest form, those three products, that small community, that small geography, whatever it is. And, um, and I, I think that that still exists today. If it's uh, whether it's something in person or online, blogger communities, um, newsletter communities, in-person wellness events, um, all of these types of things where there's still connections being made and people are looking for you know still great products that suit their lives. I think the opportunity still exists. Absolutely, absolutely. Gosh, for anyone in the food and beverage industry, what would your kind of key piece of advice be? <sighs> great question. Um, <laughs> so many things come to mind, but. One is just a little bit more philosophical, um, and that's every every industry is is tough, and food and beverage is no different. Uh, margins are tight; um, they're often perishable. That there's large startup costs sometimes. Like it, it's just it's a hard road. And one thing that has been really helpful to me, and I think this applies to not just food and beverage, it applies to a lot of different industries, but. I know that we wouldn't have got here today if it weren't for this is just having the support system to kind of get you through the journey. And for me, I had my co-founder, but not just my co-founder. I, I built a network of people that could help fill in the gaps where I didn't know what I was doing in this industry. And you know, great other founders who had been there and were willing to have a coffee with me, um, industry people who probably felt sorry for us <laughs> I were willing to you know listen listen to you know give us some advice um give us an introduction to someone whatever that support system you, know, you look at your skill set you look at the resources you have and thinking about where, you know, where the gaps are and figuring out how to supplement those gaps with support so uh, for me I had a lot of kind of mental support in having a co-founder when you're having a bad day they're having a good day they push, they pull you through and vice versa but then also kind of the knowledge gaps, um, finding those right people to kind of plug those in. I think that that's really important. It can feel very lonely um, being an entrepreneur, um, any kind of entrepreneur, um, but it doesn't have to be. And I think in today's day, more than ever, there's just so much support out there. If you prioritize creating that support system, that support network, when you're wearing so many hats, that can sometimes take the backseat. Um, but it's something so worth prioritizing because that's likely the thing that kind of gets you to that next place is just having that support network um, mm -hmm. to get you there. Mm, absolutely. 
for anyone listening, we we do have a private network for founders called Magic with a J. You should come and check it out. <laughs> Shameless plug. <laughs> Where is the business today? What like paint the picture? What has it grown into? How many retailers are you stocked in? You know who's on the team? What can you shout about? What's coming up? Yeah, um, we have a long way to go, but um, I think that's always the case. Um, but I'm super proud of where we are today. I don't think me seven years ago would have quite imagined being here. So I think that there's uh, a lot to be proud of. I think there's still a huge way to go um, and every day is a new challenge. But um, yeah, I, I'm very proud of our team. That There's 12 of us, which is might sound tiny, but um, it's a lot more than two of us. <laughs> yeah. Um, and and speak, it <laughs> speaks a little bit to our culture because... Um, we're a small lean team and we've just chosen to stay lean as much as we can. Um, we, we all know each other, we all work together really well. Um, and it really does feel like a family. And so that's kind of culturally something that's been important to us, but yeah, we're 12 people. We're in about 10,000 grocery stores, um, across the U S um, we're distributed nationally. Um, we have great partnerships with large retailers like Walmart and Whole Foods and Aldi and Sprouts. And still, um, you know, our bread and butter, which is our amazing early supporters of independent stores um, that helped us really kind of grow and scale. We have three different product lines now. Um, we started with one, added several SKUs across the journey. Now we have three different product lines. So, you know, you'll find us in lots of different parts of the grocery store. Um, and we're kind of continuing to just scratch the surface. I think that's the exciting thing is that, I touched on this before, but this is a long journey and you're just constantly hitting the next milestone. And so um, while I'm super proud of where we are today, there's just so much ahead. And um, I think that uh, it's exciting to continue on this road. I'm still learning a lot. Um, and now I just have the pleasure of doing it with, uh, supported by a group of team members who also have a lot more industry knowledge than, than I did when I started this journey. I love that for you. Gosh, what a journey. Exciting. <laughs> hey, it's June here. Thanks for listening to this amazing episode of the Female Startup Club podcast. If you're a fan of the show and want even more of the good stuff, I'd recommend checking out femalestartupclub.com where you can subscribe to our free newsletter. We send it out weekly covering female founder business news, insights and learnings in D2C, and interesting business resources. And if you're a founder building an e-commerce brand, you can join our private network of entrepreneurs called Hype Club at femalestartupclub.com forward slash Hype Club. We have guests from the show joining us for intimate Ask Me Anythings, expert workshops, and a group of totally amazing like-minded women building the future of D2C brands. As always, please do subscribe, rate and review the show and post your favorite episodes to Instagram stories. I am beyond grateful when you do that. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.
Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's June here. Thanks for listening to this amazing episode of the Female Startup Club podcast. If you're a fan of the show and want even more of the good stuff, I'd recommend checking out femalestartupclub.com where you can subscribe to our free newsletter. We send it out weekly covering female founder business news, insights and learnings in D2C, and interesting business resources. And if you're a founder building an e-commerce brand, you can join our private network of entrepreneurs called Hype Club at femalestartupclub.com forward slash Hype Club. We have guests from the show joining us for intimate Ask Me Anythings, expert workshops, and a group of totally amazing, like-minded women building the future of D2C brands. As always, please do subscribe, rate and review the show, and post your favorite episodes to Instagram stories. I am beyond grateful when you do that. 